You're listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ, taken from the weekly homilies of interim pastor Michael Landsman. So last week uh, we talked, we started uh, in Advent, obviously, and we spoke on the subject of, of waiting and wakefulness, and we talked about hope, specifically how it's demonstrated through the promise of salvation and restoration, both now and in the age to come. And as I was thinking about this, we could actually probably preach a whole thing on this, but I won't because we don't have the time. But um, salvation, when we, we read about salvation in Scripture, salvation is seen as something like in Ephesians, by grace you are, have been saved through faith, right? It's something that has objectively happened to us in the here and now, but Scripture then also speaks of salvation as something that's ongoing, and then it also speaks as salvation as something that's coming, something that's coming, and we see this in the, in the reading from, from Peter today. And then we talked about God's faithfulness in our waiting. We talked how we're sustained by God as we await the return of Christ. That's what the re- a lot of the readings are focusing on uh, this year is the return of Jesus. And then this, ne- this uh, staying awake, not being spiritually lazy, uh, being ready for his unveiling and his revealing. We talked a little bit about how it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, and we talked about how that word revelation is the word apocalypse, which means not destruction, but it means unveiling, right? It's almost as if there's like a veil and it's, it's pulled away and you're able to see uh, an unveiling or a revealing. And so in today's reading uh, from the lectionary, I'm going to focus on something specific. I'm going to talk about three actors and three messages. So in these three texts, as I was reading and studying, I noticed Three, I'm going to put actors in air quotes, right? Three actors uh, at work here. And I, and I use actor in the sense of generally who's speaking and who's doing something in the text. And how each one has something specific to tell us about the coming of our Lord, both uh, back then and in the age to come. And that was Hadley saying, Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Hadley. I, I need that. So in Isaiah 41, uh, um, 1 to 11, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read selections. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So here in the Isaiah text, I like to see the first actor... In this, in this text, is God himself. And God is announcing a message here. It says, a voice cries. It's not Isaiah crying, it's just a voice crying. And I think that that's the voice of the Lord. And he's announcing a particular message. So when we read Isaiah, we have to kind of remember what's going on in the book of Isaiah here. And this is a prophecy about the future. He says, basically, warfare is ended. It says that in verse 2. And we have to remember, for most of Israel's history, She's known nothing but warfare. You know, you've had the 12 tribes, and then throughout history, the tribes were split. And then a whole group of the tribes were carried away by the Assyrians, never to be seen again. And then the two remaining tribes uh, formed a nation of Judah. 
And so you had, and then there's inner fighting among the two kingdoms for years and years and years, fighting against each other, fighting against God, fighting against the people of the region. Lots of fighting, lots of warfare. And also you have to remember that the exile to Babylon would probably also still be fresh in their minds for people who are reading this text much later in history. Only a few hundred years um, past it, the Christians who'd be reading this. Then Isaiah says something, God says something, that the iniquity of Jerusalem has been pardoned. And you think about that and you say, well, what does that mean? Well, when we read the Old Testament in particular, particularly Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and these Old Testament uh, prophets, there are these prophetic oracles against Israel. Right? You've forsaken God. That's what Old Testament prophets do. Right? They're not, they do foretell aspects of the future, but that's not the main focus. That just kind of is a side thing. Old Testament prophets, their job is to say, hey, remember the, the covenant that God made with us? And all the people are like, yes. Prophets are like those annoying, they're kind of like street preachers. When you go to New York City, right, that stand on the box with the bullhorn that you just walk by. They're kind of like those people. You don't, they're saying something good, but you don't kind of want to pay them any attention. Old Testament prophets are like that. And, <laughs> and they tell people uncomfortable truths. Remember the covenant we made with God. Remember what we said we would do. Remember he, what he said he would do. We need to come back to that. And that's, that's what they do. That's what Isaiah is doing here. And, and so prophets would utter up these judgment oracles against Israel, against Jerusalem. You have sinned. You have sinned. This is what's coming. Repent. So Isaiah is here saying that your sin has finally been forgiven. Jerusalem, the holy city, you have suffered enough. Your sins are forgiven. And then you ask, well, why? Because it's time for the Lord to act. He is going to reveal his glory. And so we can also think about what's the significance of the road in the wilderness? Well, the significance of the road in the wilderness is, well, maybe there's a couple of things. Maybe the road of the wilderness, some theologians say, that's the path that all the exiles are going to do when they come back out of captivity. And that might be the case here. But I think that something, I think that's part of it, but I think there's a little bit more going on here in this text. So when we read in 2 Peter 3, we can think about that, and we'll get to that in a minute, about the imagery here. Mountains are being laid low, right? The mountains are being pushed down. And what's happening to the valleys? They're being lifted up. So what, what seems to be happening here? There's like a leveling. There's like this really weird leveling. Mountains are being pushed down. Valleys are being lifted up. What are happening to the rough, the big rocky areas? What's happening to them? They're becoming a plain. Everything's kind of becoming level and even. And you think to yourself, why in the world would that happen? Not just because of the exiles coming back, but you think about it and you say, well, that's so everyone can see. And it even says it in the text, so everyone can see the glory of God. All flesh will see it. It says all flesh will be exposed. And God is bringing reward and recompense with them. Those who have been faithful and those who are wicked will both receive their, their reward or their recompense. And, but the message here, the main message here that God is bringing is comfort. This is meant to comfort those who have heard it. So those who have been suffering war, they've been suffering exile, this is meant to comfort them and saying your time of suffering is almost over. God is bringing your people back. The crooked places are going to be made straight. A new day is dawning. God himself is coming. And this is the text that John the baptizer 
gives when we look at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's actually two different citations, one from Isaiah, one from Malachi, kind of mashed together. The New Testament does that. It'll take a couple of different Old Testament prophets and then put them together and then just credit one prophet. But that's Malachi and Isaiah. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the second actor we see in this second text is John the baptizer. John the baptizer. But notice, though, even even though the second actor in this text is John the baptizer, who's the one doing the activity behind the scenes? It's still God. God himself, he's still the active agent in this, just as easy as in Isaiah. So we're meant to understand that this is God's plan. This is God's work. This is God's initiative. And Mark is showing here that the Isaiah passage and the passage of Malachi, they are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Notice here that the text doesn't say to walk the path. Isn't that weird? Right? So they they quote the passage in Isaiah, you know, everything's going to be leveled. John the baptizer, he doesn't come and say, follow the path. He doesn't say, walk the path. That's a little odd. Right? You, would think, you would think that, but he doesn't say that. He says, prepare. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So he's preaching to people not to walk the path, but to prepare. There's a theologian named Garrett. She said, to prepare a straight path is to assist ones who strive to walk in the way of the Lord and to ensure their unhindered travel. So this is what John is doing here. He is preparing people to be able to walk in the way of the Lord, and he's doing this by calling them to repentance and through baptism, because he says, the one who is coming after me is greater than I am. He is preparing them so they can follow Christ. That's the path that he's preparing them for. And notice when they go to the Jordan River, the people, what do they do? They confess their sins before they're baptized. They confess their sins. And John realizes that even though he's not the Christ, he knows he's not the Lord spoken of by Isaiah. He's merely the one who's preparing the hearts of the people to receive, to receive him. And we think of baptism because it's such an important part of the Christian faith and it's an important part of, of becoming a Christian. We kind of lose the shock value that John baptizing people in the Jordan River would have. Right? This is, baptism was not very widely practiced by, by, the, by the Jews in, in, in the ancient world. It was used by rabbis if they brought a Gentile in, right? So if somebody who wasn't a Jew wanted to become Jewish, wanted to worship Israel's God, and they wanted to go all of the way, then they would get circumcised, and after the circumcision... They would then be baptized after they've healed. It's part of a process, which is why in the New Testament you see a lot of people who are called God-fearers. And these were people who wanted to worship Israel's God but didn't want to go through all of the ritual steps of actually becoming, becoming a Jew. And so baptism here would also be... So it's, it's bringing people who are outside 
of the covenant into the covenant of God. So you have to, you have to picture this, that John the baptizer, he's basically saying that, that their involvement in the covenant is, isn't enough. He's calling them to repentance. And the way that they're repenting is by being baptized, which is how people who are outside the people of God come into the people of God. Which is why when you read the Gospels, the religious leaders are so angry at him. Hopefully that clears some stuff up. Like, why are they so angry? Because he's essentially saying <laughs> all of this stuff. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. And so John's message is preparation. His message is preparation. The first message is comfort. The second message is preparation. And so just like they did, we have to prepare our hearts as well. And, you know, when we're outside of Christ, this occurs, right? When we are believed, when we're baptized for the forgiveness of sins. In Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and your children, all who are far off, everyone the Lord will call to himself. And so like the Hebrew people... We are prepared initially, right? When they came to the river, they confessed and were baptized. We ourselves confess, we repent, we turn our hearts towards God, we receive Christ, and we are baptized ourselves. That's our initiation into into the church. And so this preparation that we do, I don't think it's just a one-off thing. It's not just to receive Christ initially, right? This preparation that we do, this call to repentance that John is calling the people to. Remember, the people are in the kingdom already, but he's still calling them as God's people to still repent and to amend their way of life and to turn to God. And so us, brothers and sisters, as we celebrate the season of Advent, it's exactly the same for us. As we prepare our hearts, as we turn in repentance towards God, which is why we confess our sins when we come together on a Sunday morning, because there's things we may have said and done throughout the week it's good to bring that before God and to say, I've done this. Please, please forgive me. Preparation. And then in Second Peter 3, verses 8 to 15, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all of the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So the third actor in this text is us. So the first, the first actor, we see God. The second actor, we see John. The third actor is us. So notice here that God is active and working right behind the scenes as we are active ourselves in response to what God has done by drawing us near in Christ. So St. Peter here, he's responding to those who deny Christ because the end has not yet come. So some people in the early church, they, they expected the return of Christ to be like right then. And it wasn't happening. So Peter says, listen, just because it hasn't happened yet, 
It doesn't mean it's not coming. You all need to be patient because with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. Now, this has been terribly misused in Christian history. A day is as a thousand years. People have said, okay, let's actually use this uh, Bible verse to see how old the earth is. And, And that's not the point of that verse, right? The point of this verse is the delay of the return of Christ doesn't mean that God is slow to fulfill his promises, just like he fulfilled his promises to the children of Israel. So we find ourselves waiting, just like Israel did before Jesus came into the world. Why? Because God is more patient than we are. Thank God. Thank him that he's more patient than we are. It's easy to lose your temper, right? I'm so glad God doesn't lose his temper. I can be impatient sometimes. I don't know about you. How many of you can be impatient? You don't have to, you don't have to raise your hands. That's okay. But now that I see you all, so I know. <laughs> we all are patient sometimes. Thank God that he's patient all the time. He's giving humanity. He's giving us people who are outside of the kingdom. He's giving them opportunity to repent. And, he's, uh, and Peter's saying here, you have to need to use this time that we have wisely because we don't know when this is going to happen. But we also have to understand God is patient, but time is not unlimited. There will come a time, there will come a day when this patience will, God's patience doesn't run out, but the time will run out. So we have to use the time wisely. And so I think the third message here is this, is peace, but diligent peace, a diligent peace. And he asks this question, Peter does, since the day of the Lord is still coming, he asks, what sort of people ought you be? So he's saying, in light of the return of the Lord at the end of time, who are you? And who are, what are you becoming? How are you supposed to live as, God's, as a child of God in this time of waiting? That's a, that's a good question. And he answers that. He says, we're people who live lives of holiness and godliness. And we see this emphasized throughout the New Testament that Christian character matters because how we live now on this earth matters because we are destined to live beyond this earth. What we do with our bodies matter because God is going to renew our bodies. God is going. Notice here in the, in the text, it doesn't say that the earth is going to be destroyed. It says that the heavens will be burnt away. It doesn't say that the earth will be burned away. And then he says, we're going to have new heavens and a new earth. And this is, as Christians, what we believe is our future, right? When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to secretly snatch a bunch of Christians away from the earth. And then after a period of seven years, then he's going to kind of come back in stages. No, he's coming back. And when he comes back, the books are going to be opened. The deeds of everybody is going to be revealed. And then the end will come. So what we do with our bodies, what sort of people ought we be, matters to God because we're destined for a resurrection. And so Peter says, be found by him when he returns without spot and at peace. A theologian named Watson, he says, vital expectation can motivate us to set our ethical walk in order to renounce immorality in every form, to repent of sin and to be reconciled to God for the positive reason of wanting to be the kind of righteous person who can inhabit the new heavens and the new earth. We are being formed, brothers and sisters, like we just talked about over a period of eight weeks. We are being formed then to become the type of people who can live as God's new people in this 
new heaven and this new earth. And Christ's entrance into the world at Christmas is a sign and a promise that just as he came into the world one time as a baby, he will come again into the world as the coming king who will rule and reign over all things. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion's Stone United Church of Christ. We're located in beautiful Northampton, Pennsylvania, and we'd love for you to come worship with us. You can find us on the internet, www.zionsstoneucc.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC. God bless. Thanks for listening.